If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me over to Genesis chapter 1. I want to read just a, a few verses from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 that uh, introduce to us uh, God creating humanity and uh, is the basis of some of the things we're going to consider this morning. Genesis chapter number 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 24. The Bible is picking up to describe what he did, on, what God did on the sixth final day of creation. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. In Genesis chapter 2, God began to break down what Genesis chapter 1 tells us, and adds some color, adds some detail. And so, look over to chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison and it, in, it, uh, and it is that which compasseth the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good and Delium and the Ansk stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, and the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third is Hittichel, which that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. For the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely 
die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man that he should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. May God bless his word to us today. Genesis chapter number one in your Bible, we're looking at the subject family designed by God. And the, the importance of the subject of family is accentuated today by the degree to which the family is under attack in Western culture, in the world in which we live. And one of the issues that we always face as Christian people in a, in a culture that is, that is departing from its, its Christian moorings is that as each successive generation is raised in a culture or a society that is increasingly post-Christian in nature, then normal shifts and what used to be taken for granted is no longer taken for granted. And what even the unsaved culture used to build as normalcy, uh, that begins to drastically shift. And the danger is that our children grow up in a culture that doesn't help build some biblical worldview, even in an unsaved culture like it used to in America. And so some of the things that God designed that used to be taken for granted are no longer taken for granted. And it takes more effort on the part of Christian people to build into successive generations of Christians a biblical understanding in that culture so that the culture doesn't cause uh, us to lose our, our Christian foundation of some of the things God designed. Family is one of those things. And so, um, although for 26 years now, I have preached on the family from a variety of portions of Scripture in the Bible. It's been a while uh, since I've given any, any uh, concentrated attention on to the subject of how God designed family to operate. And so, uh, I decided a while back that we'd start the year off looking at God's original design for family. We introduced that last Sunday, and I want us to uh, look this morning at the captain of the team. Last week we introduced the subject of God's design for family by looking at the original family and how that Adam and Eve were formed into a family and, and they were a team together uh, to serve God together as a team. Uh, this morning our focus is going to be on the team captain, uh, the husband, the father, the, the head of the family. And we want to uh, see how God designed the original family and see what the role was of that team captain. Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we'll be looking at the team's co-captain. We'll be looking at how God designed the family with respect to uh, the role that God designed for Eve to play in the family. A number of years ago, I, I um, ran across uh, a a 2020 documentary, I believe it was uh, in 2005, and they were, they were discussing a phenomenon uh, that they had become aware of as a, as a broadcast company, and, and so they had done a lot of interviews and research and whatnot, and they were bringing, um, bringing to the, 
their listening, viewing audience, uh, a, a strange thing that was happening, at least strange from, from my perspective, and that was that parents of child stars, movie stars, whatever arena of, of stardom, uh, children that were making massive amounts of money, millions upon millions of dollars, and what their dads were doing with their money. And it became a, as they revealed, as they, as they interviewed and as they dealt with the subject, it, it was an interesting twist where instead of dads providing for his children, he was living off his children. And uh, they revealed how that the parents were spending all of their children's money that their children were earning in stardom. Dads living off the wages of their little boy or little girl. One particular man uh, told how when he was a boy, he was looking back now into his childhood when he was a star, a child star making millions of dollars, he told about how his, uh, he asked his dad where all his money was. You know, people told him he was making a lot of money, but... Uh, as a little kid, he never saw any of it. He was asking his dad, where's, where's all the money I've made? And, and his dad said, well, business hasn't been going real well. Uh, my business, my job hadn't been going real well. And, and I really needed to be on the set every day taking care of your affairs. And so we've been living on your money all these years. And the, uh, the son looked back at his dad and the son, as he now is an adult telling the story, he told the story how he told his dad, he says, Dad, maybe it would be better if you were just my dad and not my manager. And it seemed that the dad had replaced the role of being a dad with having a job working to be able to manage and to spend all of his son's money. That caught my attention and I thought, what a, what a, a, a flip-flop of, of roles and responsibilities and decisions made. And, and, and that begs the question, what is the role of a dad? What is, what is a dad? What is a husband? What is the man of the home? How did God design the family to operate? And what was God's original design for the role of the man in the family. Now, just a, a, a reminder of the disclaimer from last week. I, I am very aware, very conscious of the fact that we live in a world that's, that's been broken for a long time. And so probably there isn't any home that is the ideal home that is exactly the way God designed the original home to be. God designed the original home before sin entered into the picture. And so in all of our homes, we've, got, we've all got skeletons in our closet. Uh, we all have things that we wished if we could do it again, we would do it differently. We all live with the consequences of decisions we wish we hadn't have made or things we wouldn't have done. That's the reality of living in a fallen and a broken world. And so I'm very conscious that whenever we look at an ideal in the Bible, that there are a lot of people who can't have that ideal. 
sometimes because of things from the past. And, and, and so dealing with the family from the perspective of God's original design always has the possibility of opening up old wounds and, and causing people to have remorse or to, to wish things were different that they don't have the power to be able to make different now. And, and even looking at the ideal of how God designed humanity to operate as, in a family setting, we know from the rest of the Bible there are times when God doesn't create a family for a, 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 an, a, an adult that is growing up. There, we know from the New Testament that sometimes that God uses singleness in, in, in a person's life and, and he uses singleness for specific purposes and plans and, and uh, sometimes God's perfect will for someone isn't to be in a family with a spouse. And, and so dealing with ideals for a, from, a, from a preacher's perspective always has a little bit of baggage with it. Not wanting to hurt somebody, but knowing that we can't all have the ideal. None of us can have the ideal in a perfect sense. So, you know, I beg your, your, uh, your consideration in that regard. Uh, we're looking at the ideal family as designed by God even before there was sin. And, and then life happens. But knowing the ideal is important to shape our worldview into a biblical worldview and to establish expectations and, and even to teach and train our kids and grandkids of, of what God expects, what God designed the family to be. And so uh, I trust that as we study this uh, together, we'll be able to, uh, to understand God's ideal and and work towards that as best we can in our lives where we are and uh, in our lives. You see on your little handout this morning that the bottom line up front of the message this morning is be the man. Be the man. There's a verse in the New Testament in uh, 1 Corinthians where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. And that word quit is an old English word. We, we use it differently today in modern English. It's an old English word that means to act like. And so God is saying to us, watch, stand fast, act like a man, be strong. Pretty, pretty straightforward with an emphasis to it. If you're a man, act like a man. Be the man. Step up to the plate. Do what God designed you to do. It's kind of that kind of emphasis there in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And really, that is the bottom line up front of this morning's message. I want us to see how God designed man to operate and, uh, and to, to learn a biblical worldview of, of manhood in that regard. Now, there are two instructions you see on your little worksheet this morning, two instructions regarding the role of a man and uh, and. We're going to look at these two, and, and this, this will be a little bit of a different message in the sense that we're going to bounce all over the place in the Bible for a few moments and introduce a lot of different uh, statements in the Bible that God addresses a, a particular role of a man. 
and, and creates a composite picture of man. But we start, of course, here in Genesis with the original creation of man. The first instruction that, that, uh, that I want to think about with you this morning is understand your role as a leader. Understand your role as the team captain. Uh, understand what that role is. You know, I can't be something if I don't know what I'm supposed to be. And studying the Word of God and, and, and reading the Word of God, uh, we learn what that role is. Now, our world today uh, would, would totally disagree with m- almost everything I would say this morning. Which by that, I mean everything the Bible says this morning, because I'm just going to read the Scriptures. And, and the world would, would disagree with that in today's culture. But that's why it's important to go back to the Bible and make sure we build a, a biblical worldview with regards to how God designed the family. On a team, somebody's got to be in charge. Every team needs the security of knowing somebody will stand up and give direction for the team. And God gave that responsibility to the man. What's involved in a man's leadership? Let me point out a couple of things real quickly and then we'll step down through these seven statements uh, one right after another. Here in the passage I read a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God made Adam and Eve and blessed them, verse 28, he uh, put them in a garden, blessed them, said be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue the, 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 your environment, have dominion over it. In, in an umbrella fashion in Genesis 1, God said... He created Adam and Eve, man and woman, male and female, created he them, put them in a garden, said, subdue the world, have dominion over the world. But then he began to give the details in chapter 2. And in the details we learn that before he created Eve, he gave Adam that dominion. And then he created Eve to help Adam fulfill what God had designed for him to do. So in chapter 2... And in verse number uh, 15, the Bible said the Lord God took man and, and put him, let's see, back in verse number 7, 8, it tells us of him creating Adam. He created Adam differently than he created Eve. He created Adam at a different time, out of different substance, for a different purpose than, than his creation of, of Eve. And so he created Adam. And then in verse number 17, uh, verse number um, 15, the Lord God took the man Before Eve was created, he took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, and so forth. So God created Adam, and while there was no woman created yet, God gave man the dominion over his creation, put put Adam in the garden, and said, Adam, this is your domain, you are to dress it, you are to keep it, you are, as the umbrella back in chapter number one, you are to subdue it and use it for, the, for your purpose as, as man. And so what is involved in a man's role in having dominion over God's creation, subduing God's creation, uh, taking care of and utilizing what God has created? And, and that uh, brings us to the subject of, of the leadership of a man in the, in, the, in the universe that God created. And I've got, uh, as you see, seven blanks there, seven statements that I want you to see. Number one, man is a visionary. Man is a visionary. He told man, 
Go after it. Subdue it. Have dominion over it. Use it. And he put man in a realm in which man has responsibility to chart the course, uh, to be able to accomplish uh, the, the, the work of his life through utilizing the resources that God gave to him. He had to have vision because God didn't, didn't give him all the details. God didn't tell him everything to do. God gave him a direction, a vision, a responsibility. And man is in his leadership, his role as the team captain. Man is a visionary. We saw on the the uh, verse at our corporate prayer time that went up on the screen, how that Joshua, and the reference is given to you there, Joshua 24, 14, and 15, how Joshua uh, said to the people of Israel, he said, uh, who, who will you serve? Will you serve the gods on the other side of the river? Or are you going to serve Jehovah God? And then Joshua said, as for me and my house, you'll notice Joshua was casting the vision for his house. He said, as for me and my house, this is the direction we're going in. We're going to serve Jehovah, not the gods over there. And so man is a visionary in his leadership. Number two, man is a spokesman. From the same passage of Scripture, man is a spokesman. It wasn't Joshua's wife that stood up and said, as for me and my house. Joshua was the spokesman for the family. Joshua, by the way, at that time was an old man. There were perhaps three to four generations. Joshua, his kids, his grandkids, and maybe even down to his great-grandkids. There were multiple generations and Joshua was the spokesman for that family that extended down from him. And he, as the senior male in the family, still had an aspect of visionary spokesmanship for his family. He said, for, as for me and my household, we will follow Jehovah God. So what is involved in leadership? Well, it's a matter of being a visionary. It's a matter of being a spokesman. And then it's a matter of being a teacher. One of the great family passages in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, in chapter number 6, there's a great statement that is often referred to. I have often referred to it in way of dealing with family and the importance of Parents passing faith to the next generation. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible talks in verse number 4 about, about God. Verse 5 about loving God with all, of thy, uh, with all of thy heart and soul and might. And verse number 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And then he went on to talk about teaching moments when you get up in the morning, when you lie down at night, when you're walking down the way, when you just, the teachable moments of life. Th these principles that I have taught you, you need to take 
and then teach them to your children. We often say you can't teach what you don't know. They've got to be in your heart before you can teach them to your kids. But the role of the dad is to be that teacher that will teach them to the children. Now, in, in, again, God created Eve to help Adam to fulfill the, the roles and responsibilities, to make him a success, to help him in what he does. We'll deal with that somewhat, Lord willing, next Sunday. But, but we see here in, in leadership, Adam saw, or, or, uh, uh, the Bible portrays uh, the, the teaching responsibility. The New Testament tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The fathers are to nurture their children in the things that God that pertain to God and that God has taught us. And admonition, the word admonition speaks of words, what you admonish, what you say. So he says that ye fathers, you, you need to bring your children up in the nurture of the Lord and you need to bring them up in the admonition, the verbal instruction of teaching your children what they need to know about God. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and, and by the way, that phrase, bring them up, is a, is a phrase that speaks of, of the educating of the whole being. Bring, up, bring them up morally, bring them up physically, bring them up spiritually, bring them up academically, bring, bring them up in all of the nurture and through your inst verbal instruction, uh, the things that pertain to God. And so, you know, the, the, the role of a man involves being a, a, a leader who will teach his family. The book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 even uh, says uh, to the, the women in the church at Corinth, said, if you have questions, go home and ask your husband. The husband was seen as the, as the leader in the home who will teach his wife and teach his children things that pertain to God. And so in the letter to the church at Corinth, directed to the women, if you have questions, go home and ask your husband. Husbands were seen in the role of being a teacher. That was a part of man's leadership before God to teach, to train, to educate his family. The Bible tells in Ephesians chapter 5, written to the church at Ephesus, the Bible talks about a man's love for his wife. And God says that, that a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might nurture his wife, Jesus the church, that he might cleanse his wife, Jesus the church, so that the church might grow and become spotless, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. God said, husbands, love your wife this way, and then gave the illustration of Jesus Christ dealing with us by way of teaching us, helping us overcome our defects, helping us recognize our shortcomings, helping us spiritually grow beyond our spots and our wrinkles and any such thing. And God says, husbands, that's how you love your wife. You help her identify her weaknesses spiritually. Help her 
get over the defects, help her to be able to grow beyond in her spiritual maturity. So in all of these passages of Scripture, the Bible portrays the husband's leadership, the man's leadership in the home as being one who, who is spiritually mature enough to teach his family. These have to be in your heart so that you can then impart them into your family. And so the husband's role He's a visionary, he's a spokesman, he's a teacher, he's also a commander-in-chief, a commander-in-chief. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 18 and verse, verse number 19, Genesis 18 and verse number 19. This is talking about, um, about Abraham, amazing passage with regards to the role of a man. I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. The Bible says, God is speaking. God says, seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed of him. I should have gone back to verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? God was getting ready to rain fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, sent two angels down to to meet with Abraham. And uh, the question comes up, God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm getting ready to do down Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, after all, his nephew's down there. His name's Lot. Shall I hide that from Abraham? Shall I not tell Abraham what I'm going to do? And, and, then, and then God says in verse number 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And God told Abraham what he was going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did he tell Abraham? Because he says, I know Abraham. I know he's the head of his family. I, I know he commands his family in how to live their lives, to do justice and to do judgment, to do the right thing, to be a just person. To, to be able to exercise judgment, to identify and weigh things out and be able to determine what's the better and the best thing. And to be able to, to judge, to, to sift out and to identify the better thing to do. I know Abraham. I know what kind of a man he is in his family. I know he's the commander-in-chief of his family that commands his family. This is how to live your lives. This is what you need to do in this kind of a situation. And he has trained them up so that his family follows after me. In the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament, in chapter number 3, the Bible uh, tells the husband something that is very similar to this uh, commander-in-chief phrase that I'm using. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 4. This is actually speaking of the the, uh, the work of a, or the qualifications for a person who will be a pastor of a church. He says in verse number four, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? One that ruleth well. Now, you, you've got to understand terminology is as they terms were used when the Bible was written. That is not a, a uh, I'm the king of the castle kind of a, uh, an idea of what a ruler is. Uh, the, the verse is talking about a, a, a man who will 
lead his family, who will stand before, if, I, if my mind serves me correct, the, the, the etymology of the word translated rule means to stand in front of. Means I'm going to stand in front of and cast vision, cast direction, teach what's the right thing to do. I'm going to be in charge of my family, leading and providing direction for my family. The husband, in God's design of the original family, God created the man to be this person who will be a visionary, a spokesman, a teacher, who will stand in front of his family, cast the vision for his family, and lead the family in fulfilling that which God has put on his heart. The man obviously needs to be able to have that moral authority in his family. He has to be a man who can do these things. And then number five, he's the provider of his family. The provider of his family. In Genesis chapter 3, you'll remember that when after sin entered into the picture and God cursed the serpent, cursed the woman, cursed the man, Adam, the curse upon the man was that he was going to find that providing for his family is going to become more difficult. The garden's not going to produce as easily as it used to. It's going to not only grow what you want to eat, but it's also going to grow thorns and thistles and weeds. You're going to have to weed the garden. You're going to have to work. You're going to find that to provide for your family, you're going to sweat. There's going to be toil involved. It's by the sweat of your brow that you'll provide for your family. Now, what was God God was revealing in his original design of the family, it's the man of the family who is the one who will provide for his family. We find the same thought taught in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. The Bible says that a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. In Ephesians chapter 5, one of the, in that passage about a man loving his wife like Christ loves the church, uh, he, he talked about, uh, he used a couple of terms of, that have to do with uh, provision and uh, nourishing. Uh, he's, he uses the analogy, Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 29, no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. This phrase, these words speak of providing for, nourishing, providing for uh, the family. And so the role that God established for a man is that he would be the provider for his family. I, I gave uh, the counsel I gave to my sons, my two biological sons and the husband of my daughter, my son-in-law. I gave counsel to each of them before they were married in, the, in their preparation for marriage. I counseled them uh, to be careful in their early family experience with regards to lifestyle choices. I said, there'll be a time frame in which there won't be any children in the home. And the wife will probably get a job and work outside the home because she doesn't have a child at home to nourish, to take, or, or a child at home to take care of. And so I said, during those years, be careful of these, the level of lifestyle you establish. 
If you establish a level of lifestyle that requires both of your incomes to pay monthly bills, then when the first baby comes along, then you'll have some hard decisions to make. I said, in those years, live off the husband's income and take the wife's money and put it in a savings account and save it up for a down payment to buy a house, but don't use it for monthly bills. All three of them followed that advice. In all three of their families, the wife worked during the years they didn't have any children. And they saved all of her paychecks, all of her income. All three of them were able to buy a home early in their married life because they had saved that money for a down payment. And all three of them, when the first baby was born, the mom stopped working outside the home. And now for the last 18 years, uh, they have been moms raising kids inside the home. They were able to make that decision because they had prepared for the husband's income to provide for the family, which was God's original design, for the husband to be the provider of the family. And then number six, the husband is the protector of the family. Also in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, nourisheth and cherisheth it. And the word cherish, uh, it was used of, it was used of, a, uh, of a, a bird in a nest, a, a mother bird that had a nest and had some little hatchlings in the nest. And the mother bird would sit on top of the hatchlings. She would use her body's heat to keep the little hatchlings warm. And that's the word that's translated cherish. She was a protection over top her nest. And her body protected the young that were under her. God used that term here in this passage to speak of the husband's role as a leader in protecting his family. He is the key protector of the family. When there's a sound in the middle of the night... Uh, he doesn't say, "Hun, could you go and check and make sure that wasn't a robber that broke in? No, he's the protector of the family, not her. And so he's the one that has the primary responsibility to protect. And then last, uh, and certainly not least, he is the servant of his family. He's the servant. You see, Ephesians 5 likens the leadership of a husband to his family to the leadership of Christ to his church. When you study carefully the life of Jesus and what he taught about leadership, Jesus modeled and he taught what we have come to call servant leadership. Jesus' emblem of his authority was not a scepter and a crown. It was a basin of water and a towel. He served people. And that's how he led them. And so a husband leading his family the way Christ leads is a servant to his family. A totally different picture than what has sometimes been portrayed as supposedly the Christian perspective that the man as the head of the home rules his house with some kind of authority like like I'm the boss and you do what I say. 
But he, he leads, he rules his house from the perspective of serving, making sure that his family's taken care of, protected, provided for, making sure he provides spiritual leadership and direction and vision for his family. This is how he serves his family. And so it's important to understand the servanthood of Jesus. I put four little arrows there. As I study the life of Jesus Christ, I observe that Jesus spent time with those he led. Jesus taught those he led. Jesus set an example before those he led. And Jesus delegated responsibility to those he led. Interesting observations of the leadership of Jesus Christ as he led people. Spend time, teach, set an example, and delegate responsibility. All important parts of a man's role as a leader in his home. Well, it's important to understand, and that takes the whole Bible. We, we've, got to, we've got to know the Bible to be able to develop a, a, a picture of what God had in mind when he designed the original home. But let me also mention and get you to turn uh, over to Psalm 128. I want you to, your eyes to see this in Psalm 128. The, the uh, second uh, instruction that I think is important is uh, the instruction to a man to secure your resources as the team captain. The team captain needs certain resources. You know, when, when I look at that list of seven descriptions that I learn as I read and study my Bible and go through all of the key passages that deal with a man's role and, and observe men in the Bible, and I realize, wow, th this, is, this, this is huge to understand this this picture of what God designed a man to be. And then he says, be the man. Step up to the plate. Act like a man. I said, whoa, that's, that's huge. How could I ever do that? And, and that brings me to this last thought. And that is, I have to secure some resources. Because in and of myself, it is impossible for me to be that man. What do I need? What resources do I need to be able to be that man? I want you to notice Psalm 128, which is my favorite psalm pertaining to family life. Psalm 128, verse 1, Blessed is every man that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. And verse number 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. I want you to notice in those two verses, verse 1 and 4, everything in between is all about family. But he points out specifically that God's going to bless a man with this kind of a family. He describes the wife, he describes the children. Uh, he, he says, thou shalt eat the fruit, the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife, thy children, blessed... Uh, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed. He talks about God's rich blessings on the man that has collected the resources that he needs to be able to be the leader that God designed a man to be. What are those resources? He says, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth 
the Lord. I want you to notice that the only way that a man could ever come close to stepping up to the plate and playing the man is if he has the resources that make him a godly man. The resources that enable him to be the spiritual leader. A godly man. A man that has the resources of God within himself to be able to be that kind of a man in the family as God originally designed it. I, I, I thought much about this concept of having the resources that are wrapped up in this phrase feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways and I've summarized it in these three statements he needs a transformed heart selfishness is the biggest enemy of manliness if manliness is defined by those seven characteristics that we listed then selfishness is the biggest enemy to manliness. Because a selfish man who cares about himself will not be those seven things for his family. Might be some of them, but not all of them. A person has to be transformed. You know, selfishness is the heart of sin, isn't it? Look at this piece of fruit, Eve. Doesn't it look good? Wouldn't you like to have this? Wouldn't this be good for you to eat? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you enjoy this? Don't think about the consequences in other people's lives. Think of yourself. Right at the very beginning of sin, we find selfishness. I want what I want. And that is the core of selfishness and and. and and in order to be the man, a person has to be transformed by salvation where he has come to the point where no longer it's about me. I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. I can't fix the problem. It can't be about me. I need God. And when God comes into a man's life and transforms that man's life, saves that man's soul, transforms that man's heart so that he begins to act like God, conform to the image of Christ. Christ said, I came to serve people. And it's only when a man's heart is transformed by the power of God that he, that he has the resource that he needs to be able to be the man that he needs in his home. Number two, a hungry heart. A hungry heart. He said in verse number 1 of Psalm 128, Thou shalt uh, fear the Lord and walketh in His ways. How do you know how to walk in God's ways if you don't know what God's ways are? If you don't know your Bible, you can't know the ways of God. And if you don't know the ways of God, you can't walk in the ways of God. The resources a man needs is the resource of the Word of God. He's... He needs to know the Bible. He needs to know the Bible better than his wife knows the Bible. How can you lead someone that's further down the road than you? How can you walk in front of and be a visionary and a leader and, and say, follow me as I follow Christ? If, if, if the wife's way down the road ahead of the man and she's leading him. I, I won't divulge names, but a very close situation in, 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 the, in my extended family realm of, of, of my family relationships. Um, there was a, a, a man, a dad, whose daughter fell in love with a, a man, and she admitted to her dad that 
that she was the spiritual leader in their relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend. And she was wanting to marry him. And her dad said, I will not bless that. If he is your leader, he is not the man I've prayed for all your life. His daughter broke off the engagement, broke her heart, broke the engagement, and was single for a number of years after that. Until God brought her in a man who was a, into her life, a man who was a godly man who would lead her. And now they're married, have, have a handful of kids, and happy as they can be. The, the dad that said to his daughter, you need a husband who can lead you spiritually. Why did he say that? Because, because that's being the man in a family. And that requires that I know the ways of God by studying the word of God so that I can lead my family and teach them the ways of God and help them to make godly decisions. I can't be the man if I don't have a hungry heart for the word of God. And then number three is submissive heart, which of course goes back to Jesus' servant leadership, that I'm not looking out for me. I'm not trying to have a family that will meet my needs. I'm not trying to view my wife as the source of what I want out of life. I'm not viewing my kids as the source of what I want out of life. But I see myself as serving my wife and serving my children with a servant heart. I have to have a submissive heart. These are the resources. And I told you the story at, when we began of a... Um, of a, a man looking back into his childhood when he was famous and making millions of dollars. And he said to his dad, he says, maybe dad, maybe, maybe I need you to be my dad instead of my manager. I didn't tell you what the, what the dad said back to his son. His dad looked back at his son. The dad who was living off the millions of dollars his son was making. His dad looked back at his son and said, If I am not your manager, then I am no longer your dad. How cruel. How unmanly. To say, if I can't spend your millions of dollars for what I want in life, I won't be your dad anymore. There's something wrong with a worldview that doesn't understand God's original design. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit ye like men. Be strong. Be the man. Act like a man. And that man had no clue as to what it meant to be a dad. Years ago I read about a man by the name of Brooke Adams. I've told this story before. You may have heard me relate this in years gone by. But it's one of those stories that I've never forgotten. It was a man by the name of Brooke Adams who, as a child, used to keep a diary. In fact, he kept it into his adulthood as well, but he kept a diary. And when he was eight years of age, his dad took him on a fishing trip. When his diary was discovered late in his life and someone was reading his diary, they found that on that day he wrote an entry, put an entry in his diary Eight years of age, he wrote these words. He said, went fishing with my father, the most glorious day of my life. And then as the years rolled by in his diary, over and over and over again, he referred back to that day. 
The impact of that day in his life. The, the power of that experience. Going fishing with his dad. The impact that made in his life for years. But strangely enough, his dad also in his own diary had made an entry on that very same day. His dad was Charles Francis Adams. He was the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain under the Lincoln administration. A very busy man. Here's what he wrote in his diary on that day. Went fishing with my son. A day wasted. A day wasted. Little did he know it was the most glorious day his son had ever experienced in life. And a day that his son would refer to year after year after year. Because of the impact of that day he spent with his dad. To his dad, it was a wasted day. And so I think God would say to men, be a man. Step up to the plate. Act like a man. And as we develop a worldview that, that captures the essence of what it means to be a man in a family setting, perhaps we can help some people. Some families, some homes, some dads. James Dobson has been well known as an individual who has helped families through his, the organization he founded, Focus on the Family. I want to read a statement in closing from a book he wrote. The name of the book is Straight Talk to Men and Their Wives. He said on page number 64, a Christian man is obligated to lead his family to the best of his ability. If his family has purchased too many items on credit, then the financial crunch is ultimately his fault. If the family never reads the Bible or seldom goes to church on Sunday, God holds the man to blame. If the children are disrespectful and disobedient, the prime responsibility lies with the father, not his wife. In my view, as, as James Dobson said, in my view, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families rather than pouring every physical and emotional resource into the mere acquisition of money. Be the man. God designed the first family. When he designed the first family, he created a man. He made the man the head, the leader of his family. He made that man the one who would provide the leadership that his family desperately needed. And the further we stray from that biblical worldview of God's design of the original family, then the more problems we have in the family structure in our lives, our relatives, our, 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 our experiences. And so God help us as, as men, those of us who have families, those of us who look down the road to someday maybe you will have a family. God help us to understand God 
and how God designed the family to operate.